Okay. How you doing? So this um, this is my kind of only opportunity, really, to say something about Vision Weekend before Vision Weekend. So um, because of the way the dates have gone, um, we've got the pulpit swap thing next week, and then we're into Vision Weekend. So today, I just want to kind of set us up a little bit and hope that the uh, hope that I inspire you and that the inspiration lingers all the way through <laughs> until we get to the weekend. Um, because this is an, it's an important weekend for us. And, and um, I, I just want to kind of underline a little bit this morning the importance of vision and the effect that vision should have on our lives. Why do we call it Vision Weekend? That's, that's what I'm kind of going to address. So um, glean what you can from it and hang on to it for a couple of weeks and then we'll have a really spectacular Vision Weekend. I'm going to start... Um, with our old friend Proverbs 29 verse 18 Proverbs 29 verse 18 says this where there is no prophetic vision the people cast off restraint but blessed is he who keeps the law let me read that again just so you don't feel shortchanged because it's only one verse where there is no prophetic vision the people cast off restraint but blessed is he who keeps the law. This verse in Proverbs sits in the context of uh, a lot of stuff to do with discipline and obedience. And uh, it's quite clear in in terms of where the writer is coming from that this is something which is integral to making those things work in our lives. That actually if we're going to be God-honoring people, that if we're going to live lives that actually make a difference and do some good in the world, that actually... uh, uh, obedience, discipline, very important things. And what is going to help us in those things is to have vision. Not just vision, but prophetic vision. So the Greek word, the Greek word, the Hebrew word there used for vision is hazon, um, which means revelation or an oracle. So it's the sort of revelation that you might expect a prophet to have. You know, the Old Testament prophets, they were often called seers, prophets and seers, you'd be familiar with that, that, that they saw things, uh, that God um, gave them revelation of things that other people weren't necessarily seeing or understanding. He gave them revelation. And where the, the writer of Proverbs here says pro- prophetic vision, or your, your version might just have vision, but trust me, it's better rendered prophetic vision. What he's referring to is the sort of revelation that you get from God. That God actually shows you something, and as he shows you that, something stirs within you that you know that you need to do something about this. Are you with me? So, for instance, the, the schools that we have in Burkina Faso are there as a result of prophetic revelation. That... Um, my first trip to Burkina Faso was, was an exploratory trip. Pastor Jules, who I'm hoping you'll meet soon because he's back in the UK for a little bit. Um, Pastor Jules had been on at me since our Bible college days to go and visit and take a look and, and go and um, talk in some of the churches and what have you. And um, the church very graciously sent me over in 2005 on an exploratory visit. And as I walked through uh, the, the deprivation and the, you know, just listen, if you've never walked through poverty, then you really don't understand 
what it's like. And as I walked through that, not only was my heart broken for, for these people and, and the things that they had to face and the way they had to live, but something stirred inside of me that, that we actually, God was giving us a mission here to do something about this. And, and over the course of the two weeks that I was there, I came away with a prophetic revelation that actually what God had given us to do was to build the schools and to keep building schools. Because um, there is a logic to that, of course, that, that um, if you educate somebody, then you give them a power to do something about changing the situation. And so rather than just throwing money into uh, you know, the, the lives of poor people that might, might or might not help in, in various ways, actually to give people an education puts a power in their hands that enables them to bring change. And already, you know, you can see the effects of that. I wish more of us could get out there to see what's going on. But um, I've met parents of some of the children in our schools who, um, with tears in their eyes, have said what, a, what, a, what an incredible difference it has made for their kids to be able to get an education. And um, one, one lady came and spoke to me just a couple of sentences in English to thank me. She'd learned English because we taught her son to speak English in the school. And he'd gone home and taught his mum. You know, and uh, the, the, the knock-on effects of all of that is just incredible. It is, it is a great way to empower people and effect change. But it was born out of prophetic revelation. The Spirit of God spoke to me and made it clear that's what we should be doing. And that's the sort of vision that the writer of the Proverbs is talking about. That God will show us clearly what it is we should be doing so that we can engage with it with confidence. Uh, and he doesn't necessarily give us all the detail. I mean, you know, God didn't give me a building plan for the schools. And he didn't tell me where the money was coming from. And he didn't tell me which teachers to hire. Uh, he didn't tell me any of that. He, I just knew this is what we needed to do. Yeah? And as we've gone down that journey, God has guided me. That is the kind of prophetic revelation, the prophetic vision that we're talking about here. And you know, each one of us should have that for our lives. You see, the church has a vision. And we're going to revisit that over, over uh, Vision Weekend. Um, I'm going to just take a session to kind of define, um, take a look at where we're at and define in, in, with as much detail as I'm able where we're going. Um, but that's the church. That's what we all do together. You also need a vision for your life. And the vision that you should have for your life, if you're hearing God straight, should somehow fit into the vision of the church because you need to be a contributor to that. But it will be about you discovering what your gifts, what your abilities are, what, what God has given you to bring to this whole thing so that it works, so that we make a difference. So that we harness the power of synergy. In other words, that we, that, that all of our energy comes together in this and the whole is much greater than the parts. Do you understand what I mean? Um, I, I hear this a lot from, um, other ministers, particularly AOG ministers. Um, they've heard what we're doing here. They've heard what's going on. They've heard about some of our community projects and everything else. And when they ask how big the church is, they don't believe it. Because they've probably not caught on to the idea of synergy. 
that as we all bring our God-given gifts together, we're able to do something which far outweighs the, the gift that's there. Do you understand what I'm saying? There was a, there was a, a pastor in on um, Tuesday for the um, Hope for Families presentation who walked in and uh, I, I said, because I, I wasn't sure, I said, is this the first time you've been here in, in the building? She said, yes. And she said, I've heard all about it. I've heard everything that you're doing. And then as she came into here, she said, is this your main meeting room? I said, yes. She said, well, how do you fit all the people in? Because she imagined that to do the things that we're doing, that we would be a church of probably a couple of hundred people already. You know? I want to tell you, if you, if you are following God-given vision, you can do stuff that can't be done in the natural. You can do bigger things. You can reach further. You can see further. You can, you can establish more. You can touch things more deeply because it's what God has given you to do. And when you get yourself lined up with what God has given you to do, you get the whole power of heaven behind you helping you to do it. Now just imagine, because it would be fair to say that on the whole, probably about half of us have really engaged with what's going on here. Just imagine, and already... Um, if we add that up using the prescribed method, we are already, the people in this room I'm talking about now, we are already providing over £300,000 worth in value of community care every year. This year, by the time we're finished, we will have provided over £300,000 worth of community care. Hello? And we're only halfway <laughs> to where we want to be. Okay, we've only done half the things that we said we wanted to do when we moved into this building. How does that happen? It happens because we're working to the heavenly vision. It happens because we've, we've felt a call from God, we've heard what, what he's said, and we have given ourselves to the task of seeing that fulfilled, knowing that he will help us. Yeah? That's the sort of vision that we're talking about. And you need that for your life because you need to know with some conviction where you fit in all of this and the part you should play in all of this. And then we should be bringing all of those things together and engaging with what God has said to us. Uh, engaging with this prophetic vision and seeing what God will do. Because you know it's about what God can do, not about what we can do. It's about his purposes not our purposes. And the writer says that where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. In the old version, I think it's the authorized version, it says where there is no vision, the people perish. And the, the word restraint there, the Hebrew word, kind of gives that feeling that um, if there's, if there's no uh, vision, that actually we run adrift, and eventually, because we've run adrift, we run aground. We perish. Why is that? Because in the casting off of restraint, we just go wherever the wind takes us, wherever the tide takes us. But where there are restraints, we actually discipline ourselves to do what needs to be done to see the vision accomplished. So the casting off of restraint is what happens when you haven't got a vision. Without a vision, you live an aimless life. You live a directionless life. You just do whatever kind of happens. You get engaged with whatever kind of happens around you and do whatever feels good because it's just, it's there. Why don't we just do this? Uh, if we had had that mentality, we would still be sitting in a small building on Antill Street 
being nice and cosy together and enjoying one another's company and uh, occasionally inviting a friend to a service. But because we have received a heavenly vision, because we have received a prophetic vision, we have focused ourselves and we have put restraints on ourselves. We have said that this is what we will do with our resources. We have said this is what we will do with our time. We have said that we will discipline ourselves to do the things that will take us to the place where we believe God is taking us. And this morning you are sitting in the result of that restraint. That we focused and we took steps and we decided what it is God was saying to us and what we needed to do about it. And as we've engaged with that, God has had us on this journey and here we are this morning. Sitting in something which is the envy of many local churches and ministers, I want to tell you. Not, not that, um, you know, we don't, we don't want people to be envious, do we? We want them to catch vision and, you know do some of the same things. But actually, I want you to see that actually what is going on here is quite spectacular. It's quite amazing. The, the things that God has done are just off the chart. But that doesn't happen if we don't follow. That doesn't happen if we don't get, see a vision and get engaged with it. And so I want you to understand that the, the placing of restraints on us is a good thing. Why? So when we come to our mission fund and our mission offering, we have put restraints on that. Why have we put restraints on it? There are restraints on it to make sure that that money is devoted to the thing that we believe God wants us to do with it. And it won't go to anything else. That way, we know that as God opens doors and as God calls us, we, getting, we get on that path of doing exactly what he's told us to do, and the money can't be spent on anything else. Those restraints help us to fulfill the vision. And the same it is across the board. You know, that, that we, as we want to fulfill the vision, there will be restraints that we need to put on our lives. If I want to fulfill God's vision for my life, I have to think about what restraints should be in place. I have to think about, you know, what should I be doing with my time? What should I be doing with my money, my other resources? Where should I be? Who should I be building relationships with? Because all of those things will help me to fulfill the purpose that God has for me, the vision that he's put in my heart. So I have to think about you know, um, how I spend my time because I don't have any more time than anybody else. And so I've got to think about what it is I want to give that time to. Now I have to factor in things like, you know, I've got to factor in family time, I've got to factor in rest and recreation, all of those things because God says all of those things are important. But with the time that I have which is disposable time, I have to put restraints on that otherwise it can just disappear. It can just drift away. And it's easy for that to happen, isn't it? So listen, if you have anything like me, I got home. I was down here for a couple of hours yesterday because it had been such a busy week. I needed to do some work on a couple of things that wouldn't wait till next week. When I got home, um, I was quite tired, um, and I so I always find the TV very relaxing. But I just have to be careful what I watch. And I'm currently in the middle of on Netflix uh, the second series of Twenty Four. Jack Bauer, absolutely brilliant, and. Uh, on Netflix, I don't know if you know this, but on Netflix, if you're watching a series, it will automatically play the next episode unless you tell it to stop. 
It just keeps playing it. And I, I got home about four o'clock, and at nine o'clock I realized <laughs> I've just watched five back-to-back episodes of <laughs> 24. I mean, it was great, but you know, it was very relaxing. But you know, if you don't put restraints on your life, you just drift with whatever's going on. It's so easy to do. It is so easy to do. And so that's what the, the writer of the Proverbs is getting at. That, that having received this prophetic vision, we now need to shape our life and our lifestyle in line with the vision. In order that we get on the journey, get on the path that takes us to where God is calling us to be. There needs to be restraints. Restraints are a good thing. Because they stop us from wandering off into things that we shouldn't be wandering off into. And they keep us focused on the things that God is calling us into. And, you know, restraints are important because there is such a thing as bad vision. There's good vision and there's bad vision. Good vision... In fact, we had a little bit of a conversation about this in the leadership stream on Thursday night. You know, um, good vision is vision that serves the purposes of God. Bad vision is vision that serves the purposes of me. And the restraints that I put into my life are there to help me keep focused on God. So that I don't wander off doing things that would make me happy, uh, make me more important, make me famous, whatever it is, you know, that people wander off into. But they keep me, if you like, on the straight and narrow path, heading towards what makes God happy. That's good vision. And without the restraints, it's virtually impossible to do that. So we need the prophetic vision and we need to place some restraints in there so that we are kept on track, kept pursuing the purposes of God. But then the second half of the verse says this, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Now what's that all about? I thought we were under grace. I thought we'd thrown the rule book out and uh, we could do pretty well what we like because, you know, when Paul asks the question, you know, uh, whether or not we can carry on sinning, clearly he expects the answer, yes. Because that's the nature of grace. You can be saved because you're saved by grace and still sin. You'd still be saved. Because that's grace. You can. Whether you should or not, of course, is an entirely different question. And um, you will pick up in the um, second session on the giving series that's, that's online... Uh, this whole thing about one of the things that I've addressed there, and I'll just kind of refer to it this morning so you know where I'm coming from, is the false divide that we have in our thinking when it comes to the scriptures. Somehow we get this idea that in the silent years between the close of the Old Testament and the opening of the New Testament, that God had um, an identity change. That he's changed his mind on a few things. That his heart is a little bit different now. That now suddenly in the New Testament, he's a little more loving. And clearly a little wiser because he allows us to be a little bit freer. I want to tell you, that's just complete nonsense. God is the same. Yesterday, today, forever. He does not change. He does not change. Why is that important? It's important because of this. 
We are no longer under the law in the sense that the law is no longer able to beat us to a pulp and push us in a corner, which was the effect of all the rules and regulations that followed on from the law. These things have separated people from God, not brought people to God. But as people who have been brought to God, one of the things that ought to be on our agenda is understanding what makes God happy. And I want to tell you that the Ten Commandments and some of the other stuff that you find in the Bible by way of law and rules and regulations are God's list of happies. These are the things that make God happy. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. That makes him happy. Hello? Love your neighbor as yourself. That makes him happy. Don't lie, cheat or steal. Don't be jealous of something that your neighbor's got. That kind of behavior, those kind of attitudes, they make God happy. Now, if we want to make God happy, then we don't throw the law out, but we try and understand it. We put it into a context so that we understand that these things should impact our lifestyles and shape us into the sort of people and and shape us into the sort of lifestyle that will put a smile on God's face. It says, blessed is he who keeps the law. In other words... If you make God happy, he'll make you happy. Hello? There is a a, a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment and happiness that comes from knowing that you've made God happy that you will not find anywhere else. And keeping the law clearly is a part of that. Why is this important? Because the law will guide us into what is good. Now, when the writer here is referring to the law, actually it's not clear what he means by the law. He could mean the Ten Commandments. He could mean, you know, the books that that involve the commandments and all the instructions. He could mean, um, you know, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He could mean, you know, everything that has come out of the mouth of God. Because actually if God says something, it's important. When God speaks, it's important. So I'm going to take it. That if I want to live a blessed life, that I need to, then I need to understand what my Bible says about what makes God happy, and then I need to be doing those things. And I don't think of it as law, because um, when, I, when we talk about law, we think about things that we don't like. It's the law that on an empty motorway with four lanes where there's no traffic in sight, you still should not drive above 70 miles an hour. It's the law. I don't like it. <laughs> But it's the law. And that's the way we tend to think of law. Or what we need is a change in our attitude, a shift in our paradigms that takes us to a place where we understand that the law in this context is talking about things that will help us to please God and therefore it is good, it is very good. Are you with me? And that our lives will actually be richer and more fulfilled, and we will be more successful if we understand the things that God tells us through his word and learn to apply them in our lives in such a way that we give him pleasure and we put a smile on his face. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. The law, it's, it's our guide. The word of God is our template. It helps us to understand what a good life looks like and how we should behave. And the grace that that comes flooding in in the New Testament is the thing that stops us feeling guilty when we mess up. 
but should also spur us on to do better. I have no guilt because the cross has taken it away. I have no shame because the cross has taken it away. I live now free, forgiven and restored in relationship with the living God. Am I perfect yet? Don't, you didn't have to answer that quickly. Or with that amount of conviction. No, I'm not perfect yet. I'm certainly not. But when I mess up and when I don't get it right, do I beat myself up? No. What does that achieve? It just makes me feel bad. It just brings me low and it slows me down and it puts me in a box. What do I do? I look to the grace of God. Because under the grace of God, I am free and forgiven. And my attitude should be such that living in that wonderful grace, living in that freedom, living in that forgiveness, living in that life that only Jesus can give us, my attitude should be, okay, I stuffed up this time, but I'm going to readdress myself here. I'm going to refocus myself and I'm going to give myself to doing the things that I know please God. And I'm going to leave what's behind behind and I'm going to press forward into his purposes. You know, attitude can be a real uh, strength or a real killer. Right attitude will help us to keep moving towards God and moving towards his purposes. Bad, bad attitude will take the wind out of our sails every time. Bad attitude will leave us floundering. And we need to address our attitudes and make sure that we are bringing them in line with what God says. You know, if we truly desire to please God, if we truly desire to do the things that God calls us to, we no longer see the law as a rule book. We see it as a blessing. We see it as an opportunity to learn what pleases God and then to do it so that we put a smile on his face. Are you with me? Okay. So I've put in my notes here, we each need to receive and understand a prophetic revelation for our lives that brings us into God's purposes and we need the word of God the law to temper and to check what we receive and bring balance you get that okay I want to now just uh, jump into the New Testament and bring a Pauline perspective um, I put this in some of our Bible school notes once and uh, somebody wanted to know who Pauline was <laughs> Pauline perspectives it's Pauline perspectives, meaning perspectives from the Apostle Paul. Okay? So the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 writes this. For this reason, and I'll tell you about the reason in a minute. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness. Everybody say, immeasurable. 
How often do you use that word? The immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the work of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things, everybody say all things, all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, just in case I was reading a bit too quickly for you there, this is spectacular. Now, I want to focus in on Paul's uh, prayer for us uh, in a moment, but he talks about just how incredible and wonderful and totally off the scale God is. And the immense and incredible, immeasurable power that he has. That for him, raising people from the dead is not a problem. Hello? And he talks about the resurrected Jesus being given all this incredible power and authority. And his call to build the church. And then he says, you know what? All this power and authority to build the church has been given to the church wow hello now in the use of such power in the exercising of such power in the kind of learning to engage with such power there is actually some important stuff that you need to learn you know God gives us an authority to uh, to walk in the vision that he's given us and to do incredible things but he hasn't given you authority to do things outside of that hello when the bible says I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me what it means is I can do everything God has given me to do I can persevere I can come out on top doesn't mean that if I decide this afternoon that I want to go flying without the aid of an aeroplane that I can just jump off the roof of the centre and it will all happen It doesn't mean I can just decide what the all things are. Are you with me? And how do we understand what it is God's given us to do? And and therefore, how do we engage with the power that God gives us? Well, the clue to it is in what Paul is praying for us. He says this, I remember you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So, he talks about God-given wisdom that as we embark on this journey and as we engage in these purposes that God will give us wisdom. It says, uh, where is it? In uh, James, that if any man, it is James, isn't it? If any man lacks wisdom, he should ask God for it and that God will give it unreservedly. That actually, if you're not smart enough for this and to be fair, none of us are. <laughs> we need to ask God to give us the smarts that we need. We need to ask Him for the wisdom. And as we look to Him for wisdom, He will give it to us. And I want you to understand here, that I'll come on to um, relationship in a, in a minute, but I want you to understand that when Paul is saying these things, he's talking about them in the context of the church. None of us is as smart as all of us. Hello? 
In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, where there is a prophetic word, it must be weighed. Why? Well, because as smart as we are, and as spiritual as we are, and as connected to God as we feel that we are, sometimes we don't get it quite right. And it's in the context of community that we discover the right. It's in the context of accountability where we allow other people to speak into the things that we think we're hearing that we discover what is right. And if you are um, out on your own somewhere getting wisdom for yourself and pursuing things on your own and not bringing that into the community of God, you are in big trouble and you are on dangerous ground. Because you can wind up believing and pursuing all sorts of things that are not from God. But the promise of God is that if we ask him for wisdom, and Paul's prayer for us is that we would receive this wisdom, God will give it to us. But, we, but he also says, let, let me just read that again, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. It's all in relationship. It's in relationship with Jesus and it's in relationship with one another. He's talking to the church, not an individual. Hello? So we should expect, as we pursue the purposes of God and as we continue to be filled with His Spirit, that the Spirit of Wisdom will visit us. That we will have uh, and we will work with a God-given wisdom. But the, the safety net for that is that it's found in community. It's found together. Yes? You know, if I was speaking this morning and you thought something I said was heresy, I would expect you to be giving me some pushback. Joy would be shaking a fist at me for a start. I would expect all of you, if you thought that I was saying something that wasn't biblical, that wasn't true, that wasn't right, that you would come and challenge me about it. And that if I persisted in it, that you would challenge me publicly. Hello? Because that is the power of church. That is the power of community. Hello? Okay, so God will give us this wisdom, but he will also give us revelation. What does revelation mean? It means that God allows us to see things that other people don't see. There are people who are not for us. Why are they not for us? Because they don't understand what we're doing. Why don't they understand what we're doing? Because God hasn't given them revelation, because they don't see it. Hello? But Paul's prayer for us is that we will get wisdom and revelation. That God will show us what we need to see and then give us the wisdom so that we know what we need to do. With me? And you have to have the two together. You know, um, the minute you start to divorce wisdom from revelation, you're in trouble and vice versa. I have heard people say in my time in ministry... I've had a prophetic word from God. I've had a revelation from God. And they tell you what it is, and you know that this is not God, because it's actually not that smart. (coughs) Because it pays no attention to who you are, how you are gifted, what God has made you for, where God has put you. It, It makes no sense. Revelation on its own can be dangerous. You have to add the wisdom to the revelation. Where is the wisdom found? Well, it's found amongst us. As the Holy Spirit moves amongst us, the wisdom is found amongst us.
I know that there are some times when, uh, when I see things and I want to go charging off and getting on with them and, you know, I'm thankful that there are two excellent guys on the senior leadership team who hold my reins. I'm thankful that we have an excellent board, uh, of, uh, directors who, um, look at things very responsibly and take things apart and put them back together again so that we can see and understand what's happening, particularly where the church's finances are concerned and all that sort of thing. And, and, uh, you know, keep us up to date so we know exactly where we are and what's going on. I can't do that on my own. And if left to my own devices, we would be in trouble. Hello? Because I find it easy to get the revelation, but I need to have people around me with wisdom so that we can make the revelation work. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. And that's true for all of us. But I want you also to see very clearly there that the spirit of wisdom and revelation that Paul is praying for is in the knowledge of him, in the knowledge of Jesus. In other words, that actually the place where we're really going to find this wisdom and this revelation is in our relationship primarily with Jesus. If you are not engaged, if you are not connecting with Jesus, how are you going to hear what he has to say? I want to tell you, Jesus does not use uh, Twitter or Facebook. He doesn't send emails. That's not because he's against those things. But Jesus speaks to the heart. He speaks into your spirit. And he can't do that if you don't give him access to it. And if you've no relationship with him, you're not giving him access to it. And relationships take work. They don't just happen. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah? So it's the spirit of... Wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And why does he do all this? So where we started in that um, passage there, he says, for this reason. For what reason? Well, in the preceding verses, he's been talking about the gospel. The power of the gospel, the work of the gospel. He prays, That we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. Why? So that we can be strengthened, built up, shaped and prepared in order to engage in the work of the gospel. Not the work of filling your bank account. Not the work of getting a bigger house or a better car. Not the work of um, finding the uh, most beautiful woman in the world to marry. Um, I've already done that so you're in trouble. Um, Not the work of things for our benefit that please us, but the work of the gospel for the benefit of others. And it's where we were a few minutes ago. If vision is good, it's about what makes God happy. What makes God happy is that we serve others. Hello? This this spirit that Paul is praying over us, this advice that we're getting from the writer of the Proverbs, is to help us to shape ourselves so that we engage in the purposes of God. The sharing of the gospel. The, the communication of the good news. And listen, there are lots of different ways that we do that, and there are lots of different strategies you know, that we can employ for, for making that journey. But we must make that journey. It's not enough 
to provide somebody with a world-class cup of coffee and a nice bun and sit and chat with them about the difficulties that they face in life and not, at some point at least, tell them about Jesus. Hello? It's not enough to spend your working hours encouraging people and helping them and you know, being mates and everything else with them. It's not enough. If that doesn't at some point lead to you having a conversation about Jesus. Because all of this, without exception, is about Jesus. All of this is about who he is and about what he has done and about what he would like to do. And that's why Paul writes what he writes. That's why he prays what he prays. That's why the writer of the Proverbs writes what he writes. It's about Jesus and his purposes. And I'm going to leave you with these questions which I hope over the course of Vision Weekend will get answered. Question number one. What is the God-given vision for your life? I'm going to tell you over Vision Weekend again what the God-given vision for the church is. But what is his vision for your life? Question number two. How are you going to implement that vision? Because you need to do something about it. It's no good, and I can tell you this from experience because I've been there, it's no good saying, I believe God has called me to preach, and then never reading any books. You can't be a good preacher if you don't study hello you can't can't be a good guitarist if you don't practice <laughs> people come into the cafe and and they always have great things to say about the cups of coffee that Pete makes why does Pete make great coffee because he's been trained on the machine because he's spent time working at it, getting it right, and because he's done research, because he's been on YouTube and all over the internet, finding out the best way to make really great coffee. That's why he makes a great coffee. You, don't, you can't say I'm called to something and then just sit there and wait for it to happen. Okay? You've got to engage. So what are you going to do to implement your vision? What restraints will you put in place to help you with that? Third question. There's only four, so don't worry. Third question. Who is going to help you? Because whatever God gives you and whatever he calls you to, I want to tell you, this is a team game. There are no soloists in the kingdom of God. We do this together or we don't do it at all. If we have success, it's our success. If we have failure, it's our failure. If things are going great, it's because we're going great. There are no soloists in the kingdom of God. We're all in this together. And if God has put a call on your life, when God gives you vision for your life, you need other people around you to help you. Because you're going to need some support. You're going to need some encouragement. From time to time you might need some direction. You cannot do this on your own. Fourth question. When are you going to get started?
Procrastination is a killer. You know? There's an old Chinese proverb. But I'm sure Paul would have said this if he'd thought of it. (laughs) That the journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. In other words, if you don't start, you're not going anywhere. If you don't do something to, to start moving, to start engaging, then this time next year you will still be sat in the same place. And the most frustrating thing is that, you know, if you've engaged in any other part of the process, is you'll be sat in the same place, knowing that God has called you, knowing that God has something for you, and knowing that another 12 months have gone by and you've not engaged with any of it. When are you going to start? When are you going to rise up? When are you going to make some changes? When are you going to grab hold of that which God has given you and do something for the sake of the kingdom with it? We will revisit these challenges in two weeks' time when we have our vision weekend. But I think this morning there's a lot to think about there, isn't there? There's a lot to process. Let's take these couple of weeks just to be calling on God and asking him to just sow something clear and specific into our lives over our vision weekend that will both inspire us and stir us to rise up and to see the kingdom of God built in this community. To see this church rise up and become what it can be. You know, we've, we've made a good journey. But there's a lot more of the journey to make. And we need to be considering these things and we need to be getting to the place where we will rise up and engage with the purposes of God. So I'm going to pray, so why don't we rise up now? See what I did there? <coughs> I'm just going to pray a blessing on us and um, as I do that I particularly want to pray a blessing on Christine and on Clive who both had their 70th birthdays this week. Um, I want to pray a blessing on Edward who lost his nephew this week. It's not been an easy week for him and uh, I just want to ask that God will do something in us that we will leave here this morning knowing that we've met with him. And that he's touched our lives. So Father we thank you for all of your goodness. We thank you that you're not the God who leaves us alone to struggle and to battle on. But you are there beside us every step of the way. That you walk with us. That you put so many wonderful things into our lives. And we give you thanks for that. There is nobody like you. There is nobody else that's worth serving. You alone have the words of eternal life. You alone are the God who loves us and gives his life for us. And we say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. And now I pray that the Lord would bless you. That he would uh, do you good. That he would cause his joy to rise up in your spirit. And that that would issue in rejoicing as you journey with him. I pray that he would bless you. That he would keep you. Keep you safe. Keep you strong. Keep you focused. Keep you well. Keep you moving in the right direction that he would cause his face to shine upon you. In other words, that you would have that sense of warmth like the sunshine on your back and know that it's the smile of God over your life. That he would draw close to you and that you would know his favor. That you would know that you are blessed because he is blessing you. That you would know that you have 
so many good and wonderful things because the Lord God is pouring them into your life and that he would fill your days with a wonderful supernatural peace that nothing would rattle you or undermine you or cause you to feel insecure because your feet are planted on a rock and the peace of God is alive in your heart. I pray that you be blessed in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Let's go and have some coffee.